Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and after a weekend of football that included the start of AFCON as well as some absolute madness at the Stadio Olimpico, there is lots to think about in this wonderful world we inhabit. My name is Jack Collins and joining me as ever at the Rank Office is Sam Tai. Hello my friend. Hello mate, congratulations, you are a married man. I am indeed, yeah. I'm not single anymore, ladies. Sorry. <laughs> All those offers you've had through the yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, been... goodness me. It's been tough, yeah. Can't, <laughs> even, get, can't even get out of the door, you know? No, yeah. what competition there was. Indeed, yeah. indeed. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I held up better than you at Sam's wedding, didn't I? I think you went a little bit deeper than I did and. uh well, yeah, Booze Central was where I last saw you, I think. I just that was fine. Standing was at the fine. bar, throwing nice shots time. into pints and all sorts. So um, <laughs> I probably probably better in a better place on Sunday than, than you were. But Baby Guinnesses were Sorry, hard. Saturday, wasn't it? That's yeah. all I've got to say. Baby Guinnesses were hard. And, and that's, the, that's the main It was thing. good fun. It was a very good we wedding. We had a great time. We had a great time. To be honest, it was the thing I loved most this weekend. But Is that the thing you love, it? I'm not going to go on about it. We're going to do some football things we love. Before we get on to our main segment, which this week is going to be our team of the year for 2021, which we're doing in conjunction with EA Sports, which is a cool one. We're going to be picking our best 11 uh, of the last calendar year, which is always a, a tricky task, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best to get through it. Um, and yet we should start with the famous things we love. And Dean, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, a bit of a different one for me this week. Uh, something I just stumbled across um, earlier, actually, and I love it. Because when I was a kid, one of the things, well, I did a couple of weird things football-wise, but um, I used to make my own magazines, football magazines, but I also used to, in one of the actual magazines that was out at the time, um, they always had a page where it was just free and you, they'd tell you which team it was going to be and you had to design their kit and you could send it in and like be a competition or whatever. It was always fun. Dortmund are actually bringing this to life. So you can now help. Borussia Dortmund design their kit. Not help. You can actually just design it. So they're holding a competition for the 23-24 season. I can't wait to see actually what this comes out like. They say, we want to collect your suggestions, whether crocheted, painted, 3D animated, or with potato print. It doesn't matter. Um, they're saying, we want to honour our commitment to our fans. Make your own mark on the black and yellow history. Uh, submit your design for the home uh, jersey. Um, there's going to be like legends of the club um, helping with the decision making and I'm just really quite intrigued as to like what fans are going to put forward here because you know Dortmund typically have pretty good kits anyway I, I usually like the Dortmund kits um, and they're usually a bit different so like are the fans going to be a bit more like reserved and traditional are they going to be like wow like we've got to seriously go for this to like make a mark and make mine stand out like I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing what comes out the winner they're not the um, first club to do this they there was actually a competition last year in Italy where Pescara, who play in Serie B, um, did a 
competition for kids basically over coronavirus so that they didn't get bored where they could design the new kit for Pescara and it's amazing it's just really really cool it's basically it was done by a six-year-old called Luigi D'Agostino and it's basically a dolphin rising out of the water to head a football over a rainbow it's one of the coolest <laughs> nice. kids I've ever seen um, but the dolphin is the mascot of the thing and on the uh, the side of the jersey on the sleeve it says by luigi so he's got his name oh, wow. on the kit they that wear. Is awesome. um, that is awesome. so it's really cool it's a really really cool array made it so um yeah i, I hope the dortmund do something i hope we see you know a, a leopard heading a yeah, ball over I'm a actually, bridge my design i'm going to do a brick effect so i'm going to look like a big yellow wall and then i'm going to have <laughs> <laughs> i think That's we should also, i think we should all submit one i think we should yeah. all submit one to the Maybe one of us won it won't be me and yeah it won't be me either art has never been my story no normally um right sam what's your thing you love oh well this week i loved the return of danny alves to La Liga and to mm. Barcelona. Um, you know, they signed him back end of November, start of December, and basically had to have him come in and train with the with the club. And obviously we know that he can have a huge impact there on the mentality, on the dressing room. Uh, you know, he's a bit of fun as well. He's one of the most uh, effervescent characters in football, Danny Alves. You know, he was probably lifting spirits and he would have done all sorts of very in- intangible things to help lift Barcelona through the very early stages of Xavi's reign. And now he's also able to do all of that, plus put some boots on, run over the white line and kick a ball about for them as well, which is doubly useful and probably what they actually pay his wages for. So good to see him back on the pitch and good to see him swing in a trademark cross for Luke de Jong to score a really nice header. And look, I'm not going to lie. One of the reasons I also love this is because... Granada managed to snatch a point off Barcelona and Granada managed to make it, well, two points from Barca this season, feeling very lucky as a team I support. But really, this was mostly about Alves and it wasn't just one isolated incident. It wasn't just one cross. There were a couple of good deliveries, but he was steaming up and down that right-hand flank. And, you know, Granada haven't had the best season, not the most talented team. But one thing I can almost certainly guarantee when I watch them is that the left-back, Carlos Neva, is very solid. He's a very good and consistent player. He had the worst game I've seen him play in like two, three years, like since he was in the Segunda. And that was basically Danny Alves. So if you were wondering about his level, if you were wondering if he was ready to hit the ground running, if you were wondering about his fitness, yeah, don't worry. That intensity and that fitness and that talent, he's still there. He's 38, but he's still excellent. He's going to be a huge asset for the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, we were excited about this move in general, right? Because we were talking about it and saying over the summer and you know, and over the Olympics, he was wonderful. We had a great time watching him, and it was it was really enjoyable to see Danny Alves playing that kind of football again. But um, he looks like he's going to start seamlessly back into the plans of Barcelona, not only as a massive character in the dressing room, but also on the pitch too, which is which is a cool one. I think it's a nice. Um, I'm going to go just just across the border to Portugal for my thing I love. Uh, I'm going to talk about a Primeira game between Estoril Praia and Porto. Now, Estoril have been one of the success stories of the season. because I spoke about Rio just before the Christmas break and, and why they were so good. And Estoril are another one, promoted last year and have been absolutely flying high in 
Portugal's Primeira Liga from the little town of Cascais, just outside of Lisbon. And they've been doing really well. It's, it's, it's lots of fun. Um, they have some bizarre little traditions by the by the looks of things. They play We Will Rock You as the teams walk out. Um, they play Zombie uh, Zombie Nation by Kirkcraft 400 when, when their team scores nice. a goal. Everyone's having nice. a good time uh, at Estoril's ground. Um, but, and they went 2-0 up against unbeaten Porto at the weekend and things looked like they were on for a, a massive shock. Uh, Porto's first defeat of the season, which would have been just after uh, Sporting lost their first game of the season to Santa Clara on Friday night. Um, Artur scored uh, and, and Andre Franco made it 2-0 just before half-time. Medi Taremi pulled one back just after the break. Luis Diaz did what Luis Diaz does and it's just been absolutely ridiculous this season. The 84th minute, he leveled things up. And then in the 89th minute, a couple of minutes after being brought on by his dad... Chico or Francisco Chico Conceição scores the winner in the 89th minute, sweeps home a beautiful Luis Diaz cross, and the celebrations are absolutely ridiculous. He goes absolutely wild. He's running around like a lunatic and then he finds his dad and in the like celebrations, they are absolutely embracing. They are, it's just such a moment and it's, you know, it feels like it's not the first time that, that Chico Conceição has scored for, for Porto and it's not the first time he scored the winner. Um, but it was like a real outbreak of emotion. I think it was because it was a really, really good game, a really tough game, um, you know, to complete a comeback, especially after your title rivals had lost the day before. It felt like a massive win for Porto at this point um, and for your son to do it and the celebrations, the two of them just locked in an embrace with the rest of the team crowded around them. Absolutely wonderful, like absolutely wonderful to watch. So uh, that was my thing I love, a real outbreak of joy in the Primeira, not for, you know, the Estoril fans in, in Cascais, but um, I think they will be very proud of their team's performance nonetheless. Um, and then the Porto fans were sent home happy, but the, the Porto bench, I think, the happiest people of all. So a, a nice little story for things we love this week. Uh, and on the back of that, I think it's time to move on to our main segment, which is going to be our 2021 Team of the Year. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our team of the year in conjunction with EA Sports. We're going to walk through the players that we think have been the best in 2021. We're going to have a little debate around some of these positions. I'd imagine some of them are going to be hotter than others. There are some of these positions that feel a little bit more like a lock and some of them that feel like they need to be battled out. So we're going to start in goal and work our way through the team. Sam, it's always a little bit difficult to pick up what you know a calendar year is it's often discussed with the ballon d'or isn't it so this is basically like the people's ballon d'or isn't it people vote for the, the team they put together but it's always a tricky task we're going to do our best with with getting through it the people's ballon d'or i really like that and you know what there's a part of that that i really like because I, i'm convinced that most of the journalists that vote in the actual ballon d'or aren't, aren't watching closely enough and that's not something you can necessarily say about the FIFA community who are always cheering and roaring for the these players that we've got on these cards. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I think we're going to have some points of difference and uh, I think it's going to start pretty much from the off, isn't it, in goal? Yeah. Why don't you kick us off? Okay. So I am going to put forward a case for Edouard Mendy of Chelsea to be my goalkeeper for the team of the year. What a year he had. And you do split it in half, but the first half is a Champions League win and an incredible performance all throughout that campaign. Look, there, are, there were more impactful players for Chelsea and I think we'll get to one or two of them. 
But Chelsea's defensive solidity throughout that latter stage Champions League campaign was stunning. And they barely conceded any goals throughout the entire tournament, to be frank. Now, this season, I think Mendy had maybe two bad weeks and that was it. And if that's what if that's the level, if a goalkeeper can 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 just have two bad weeks or two bad performances and the rest of it is stellar, absolutely amazing. One of the best save percentages. I mean, you have to take like 30 plus shots against Chelsea to score a goal against them or were maybe back in October and November. Mendy was in sensational form. I got to see him live a couple of times this year. Very lucky to be able to get to a stadium. And he was stunning. Honestly, he's got it all. Uh, He's got the reach. He's got the command of the box. He's got the shot stopping, but he's underrated with his feet. He's much, much better on the ball, much calmer on the ball than people say is as well. So when you look at the complete modern goalkeeper, I think it's Mendy. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to disagree with a Champions League winner any kind of given point, right? And 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 after the performances he's put in and and how good Chelsea were, it's a fair shout. I mean, Dean, is there anyone else you you'd like to put in the mix? I have one, but I think I, I fancy that you'll have one as well. Yeah, um, I've got to say, shouts out to my man Thibaut Courtois. Um, <laughs> look, when he, I think this is an bit of a narrative really for him as well because obviously what joined Real Madrid and with his reputation in the bin basically um you know lost so much respect um over the the couple of years that leaded into that transfer um but his year at Real Madrid was superb like I think he got 18 clean sheets across La Liga over the calendar year um but more than that, it's like the amount of times for me that he saved Real Madrid and continues to save Real Madrid. You know, that this is a team that have certainly had um, flaws with the functionality of their defensive game um, multiple times throughout the past year. And time and time again, this guy was producing save after save to keep them in games. And then ultimately, it might be that Benzema nicked them the important goal right at the end to gain them points. Um, yeah, Courtois, I think he's probably gone under the radar for, for some people. But if you've watched enough of him, you know the level he's been playing at. Yeah. And also, I think there's a little bit of this season, right? When you look at 2021 as a whole, we're looking at a lot of the back end of last season, a lot of the tournaments in the summer. And it's easy to forget that five months of the year is this season, right? August through to December. And Courtois has been immense for Madrid in that period. And I think that's sometimes often forgotten in, in these debates. Um, I'm going to completely ignore what I've just said, though, um, and, and go back for non-recency bias uh, and bring this man, Gigi Donnarumma, into the conversation. Now, obviously, player of the tournament, at the Euros this summer as Italy went on to win it. Two unbelievable penalty shootouts to win both the semi-final and then the final. Some unbelievable saves. Didn't concede a goal in the group stages. I think also it's easily forgotten what happened at Milan last year. Milan turned around and returned to a Champions League spot after so many years out of the competition. And as we got towards the end of last season in Serie A, it was all getting a bit shaky for Milan, right? It was all feeling a little bit up in the air. They didn't quite close off the spot in the way that perhaps they'd wanted. Donnarumma kept five clean sheets in the last five games. Five in five in order to bring Milan back into that conversation to make sure that they were able to look at this and his kind of departure, which has gone not as smoothly as imagined as, as he would have hoped. It was obviously all a bit frantic, a bit rushed, a bit 
well, controversial, I think, at the best of times. But to leave in the way he did, having secured their Champions League spot, then to go and be the hero for his country over the course of the summer, I think it would be unfair not to include Gigi Donnarumma in this conversation. I think for sure he's in the top three. Whether he's a top one or not, I suppose we'll have to come to a conclusion. Yeah, we're going to have to get quite nitpicky here, aren't we? Um, yes. Because these are three outstanding candidates. Here's, look, here's the way I see it. I, I still, I still think Mendy, Mendy is the one, uh, and I think winning that Champions League is always helpful in that area. I'd say that Courtois has been outstanding this year, and I agree with every word Dean says. But he doesn't have that Champions League trophy to his name, and obviously they didn't get over the line in La Liga either. And Donnarumma, you made a very good point when you were talking about Courtois, is that the last five months of 2021 are also in play here, and it's not his fault, but he just slowed down a little bit at PSG because he's been rotated in and out with Kayla Navas and missed a couple of games and probably hasn't hit top form, just like pretty much everybody else at PSG hasn't either. So I'm putting the case... Once again, forward for Mendy, who I think just just edges two other outstanding candidates. Yeah, I mean, for consistency's sake, I think maybe that has to be the one, right? It, ha- it has to be. It has to be Mendy purely because I think he's had one bad month in the year, and I think everyone else has had a couple. Two more weeks, mate. Can't call it okay. a month. I'm gonna call it. Fixed month. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say December was bad. Yeah, I mean, look, he <laughs> fixed a major problem he, they had, didn't he? Like he was he was brought in to fix a problem that Chelsea had, and he did it perfectly. I think okay. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. All right. We'll give Mendy the nod in goal. Fair play. Well done, Edward Mendy, making our 2021 team of the year. Let's go right back, shall we? And Dean, you're going to kick us off here. Yeah, I'm going to go with Liverpool's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, now, I think, you know, in the modern game, we've obviously seen this position develop over the past few years and and Trent has been kind of like the beacon of, of that. He's he's a guy that's relished changing how um, games are defined. And, you know, the fact that he's likes to be on the front foot, the fact that he likes to be attacking, uh, talks about obviously for his assists and his, his crossing ability, his passing ability. I still think that there are probably some improvements he could make defensively, and I think that probably will happen. But over the course of the calendar year, Look, he was probably questioned even at times, but I still think you struggle to find somebody who was consistently as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I remember a spell not so long ago, actually. It was um, a little spell towards the end of the year when, you know, things were were getting a bit tough um, and, and Liverpool being forced to, um, you know, pitch in and start to make sure they remained in the title race and... Trent stepped forward. He got five assists in five games, even even got a goal against West Ham. And he, they, they lost that game. But if you think of the performances and the level of the performances, uh, particularly that Arsenal game, if you remember when they won 4-0, I mean, this guy, when he steps up, he really steps up. And I just think that he's he is the bar. I, I think that he is the guy that you've got to be better than to, to make this position your own. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, uh, one man that I would put into the mix is... Uh, Akraf Hakimi, who's now at PSG, obviously, um, but was at Inter last year as they won their first title in you know over a decade. And again, almost played every minute in that Inter charge. I think after Christmas and well, after the turn of the year, as 2021 came round, 
Hakimi and Inter both went into this kind of mode where they just looked unbelievably good. And Hakimi played almost every minute. He missed one game with a yellow card suspension against Genoa in the back half of last season. He got a really important assist in sort of just as this was finally getting over the line, got the assist in a 1-0 win over Cagliari, a 1-0 win over Hellas, uh, you know, in sort of just the start of and the end of April during this period. And I do think that without Hakimi, Inter maybe don't get it done. The only thing I would say is that I'm starting to create a trend here for myself in that I'm talking about players who did really well in Serie A last season and then came to to PSG <laughs> where it's not been quite as clear. <laughs> but Akimi has three goals and three assists at PSG this season. It's not loads. It's not no. stunning amounts, but it's still a decent outlay for someone who's you know, primarily playing in a defensive position, doesn't play in a defensive sense. I'm not suggesting that Hakimi is, a, is, is primarily a defender, but for a right back, it's not a particularly poor outlay, I don't think. I, I, I don't know if he has done enough to oust Trent for me, um, but I would like to say that he should be in the conversation because I think that Hakimi's influence and importance on that inter side last year is unbelievable. There's similarities between these two, really, aren't they? Because they're both top-heavy players in terms of the weighting of their game. They they are attacking players. Yes, they're played at right-back, but you don't really consider them to be defenders. I mean, Trent, in almost any other system, is either a winger or a central midfielder, in my opinion. I think Klopp has just done a wonderful job of creating a system that allows him to play fullback to put him in the right areas for those deep, in-swinging crosses. And then Hakimi, you just want to give him space to run into. But really, it's all about his attacking game. And you get the most space probably as a wing-back or a full-back because you get the flank to run down. So two managers in, in Conte and Klopp who have unlocked the very best of these guys. And also, have you noticed that every single goal they score is an absolute stunner? Like they don't, yes. they just don't score bad goals. Only ever. score worldies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and they're both different types of worldies as well because Hakimi just hammers them and Trent often flicks them and curls them and, 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 and takes them from set pieces. They're again, very different players in so many ways, but just the trend of the modern attacking fullback. And if you'd like me to be... Uh, go on, Sam, the, 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 the decision maker. The I, think, I think I have to say it's Trent. I think his level is too consistently high. And I'm a massive fan of what Hakimi was last season. But again, he's just, just faltered ever so slightly. Whereas Trent, arguably, he's never looked better um, towards the end of the year. I think this might be his best ever set of performances. And his combination with Salah has gone on yet another level. So I'll give him the nod. Okay. Nice. All right. Dean gets Dean gets one into the side. Yeah. Nice. Well done. Hey, well done. Um, well I, I, done. I will, my weight will go on. Yeah. Let's see if you can get this one. Go on. Well, we're going to flip <laughs> over to left back, and I believe Sam has a, a contender for us. Well, I mean, it's sort of like I'm going to pop Joao Cancelo's name into the mix here, and I think he probably needs to go into the conversation for left back, even though, of course, you know that he can tussle with the, these guys for right back, but. Really, we've just seen Cancelo make the left-back spot his home over the last year, haven't we? I mean, there was always a, a debate whether or not he might be able to go here, he might be able to go there, he could play either side. But really, this, the system has settled and, and Cancelo is now, he's a left-back. And he's a right-footed left-back and, and they're not very common. Um, and they have to be exceptionally good to really make hay in that position. But, you know, he's so used to it now that we watched a recent performance of his against Arsenal and he had to play right back because Carl Walker was unavailable. He's nowhere near as good at right back. His game has evolved so much from the left now and he's so in tune with the different passing lanes and the different passing angles that are available to him from left back and the way that he can recycle possession, the way he can filter into midfield, the way he finds his winger. It's all, it's all so natural to him now on that side. And 
I mean, look, I just don't think really anybody can hold a candle to Joao Cancelo over the course of the year in terms of the consistency, the output, the goals and assists, but just like the sheer impact as well. And I, I've said it before, Jack, and I know you're a fan of the phrase, but you know, Man City, the system helps certain players stand out. And I think Joao Cancelo actually is the Manchester City system in so many ways. And when he plays at left back, he is just one of their most influential players, which is a hell of a thing to say about a fullback in a possession system. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the only person I think you could chuck into the conversation of having a wonderful year is maybe Teo Hernandez, who continues to be wonderful. But I don't think that Teo, for me, has done enough to oust Cancelo after the year that Cancelo had. And I love Teo. Regular listeners to this podcast will know how much uh, I, I wax lyrical uh, about Teo Hernandez rumbling up that left-hand side for Milan. For France, was obviously excellent in the Nations League. But um, I'm, I think I'm just going to have to bow out gracefully on this one, Sam, and uh, assume that you're correct. So uh, Joao Cancelo can go in at left-back, which takes us into the middle. And I'm going to put someone forward who I think is going to be my first lock in this team. Um, and I'm going to go for Cancelo's teammate at both club and international level, Ruben Dias, who has been an absolute rock for Manchester City as they romped to the Premier League title last year. And look, Dias, his influence, I think, can't be overstated and we were a little bit concerned when when he came in at Manchester City you know that we weren't sure that the system was actually going to suit him when he came in from Benfica we we're a little bit because he absolutely trod all over all of that he has been remarkable um, in the middle of that City back line he is a body on the line put it all there defender he's the kind of defender that, that fans love he's the kind of defender the players love playing with um, and I just think his influence over the course of the last Last year means that he's almost certainly going to be a nod here. And I'm just going to take your word for it. He's, he's always available as well, which just really helps. Like he's just ever present. He's like never injured, rarely suspended, always there. And City are one of the most consistent teams in terms of preventing goals being conceded. And if you're the guy that's literally always at the heart of that, then you must be doing something right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, Dave, we've got any other centre-backs to, to put into contention here? Yeah, I mean, I've got to throw um, the man of the moment, really. Um, Antonio Rudiger, um, you know, currently being talked about. He's wanted by everyone. And that's because he's just had the year of his life um, at Chelsea. Like every aspect of his game seems to have grown um, to the point where you think the, the beginning of his Chelsea career and the frustrations that he had of finding a place in the team, being relied upon. Suddenly, he was like the first name on the team sheet. And it was uh, his quality, obviously, that first and foremost made that happen. But it was his character, too, that became such a big part of, of Chelsea and their rise across the course of, of 2021 under Thomas Tuchel. Um, and on top of that, he then started to bring an extra edge to their back line in the way that he was so confident he was willing to start bringing the ball out. He was willing to start beginning their playing styles from the back and, and set that set off the triggers that would make the front guys start making their forward runs. And, and that was really impressive for me in the way that he improved. And as I say, we've got to the, the stage now where, unfortunately for Chelsea, they haven't offered him a contract that um, he's been willing to sign so far. And uh, now you've got Real Madrid, PSG, Bayern Munich, Man United and Tottenham so far knocking on the door 
saying, if he's a free agent, we want him, we'll pay him pretty much whatever he wants because he's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's a good place to be in, I imagine, if, you, if, if, you're, <laughs> if you're Antonio Rudiger. But uh, less of a good place to be in if you're Chelsea. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah, oh, he's so Rudiger's important. a nice easy one, isn't he? Because he's... His, it's literally his calendar year that was excellent because Thomas Tuchel yeah. came in right at the start of the year. So like Chelsea players are like really easy to track in these terms. Everybody else is really difficult because it splits sort of two seasons. But this basically is just Thomas Tuchel's first year. And it was Tuchel that really brought Rudiger back into the frame and made him a really important part of the system, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely was, yeah. Look, we're looking at two centre-backs here, Sam, who have had unbelievable years. Uh, a Premier League winner, a Champions League winner alongside each other. Is there anyone that you can put in here that's going to shift them? Well, it's all Premier League players so far, isn't it? Uh, a bit of Premier League bias going on. But then again, these are the two sides, Chelsea and Chelsea, that did make that Champions League final when the Premier League feels like it's kind of set in the bar. But there is one player here who I just want to give a shout out to. I'm not going to go ahead and say that uh, he deserves to be in the team over Rudiger or Diash, but Simon Kier had an incredible 2021. He was, his performance levels were stunning. He was brave when he needed to be. There was a horrible situation for he and his Danish national teammates over the course of the summer with Christian Eriksen and he behaved with aplomb and respect. It was just wonderful to watch him carry himself throughout that tournament. His actions on the pitch his actions off the pitch. And then you go to his AC Milan standard, which, I mean, he got nominated for the Ballon d'Or. And I, I hope it wasn't simply out of sentiment because he deserved to be there performances for performance levels as well. He was absolutely brilliant. We talked about Donnarumma being key and keeping clean sheets and getting Milan into the Champions League. Well, Simon Kier is the defensive leader there and his level, he refound that level over the course of the year. And he had an excellent start to the season as well up until... Very sadly, he tore his ACL and he probably misses the rest of the year. But he, from January to November, he was about as good as anyone. And I wanted to give him a little shout out for all, for everything he's done over the course of the year. Yeah. I mean, look, they created an award for him this summer because uh, of how important he was and, and what, a, mm. what a gesture it was. But also on the pitch, been unbelievable for Milan and also in that Danish run to the semi-final. So, I mean, absolutely worth consideration, I think. Mm. Probably not quite done enough on the pitch to shift out Rudiger and Diaz. So we'll stick with yeah. them. And that's our back five logged. Edouard Mendy, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ruben Diaz, Antonio Rudiger, and Joao Cancelo. Right then, with the defence set, shall we move on to the midfield? And I suppose probably the first thing to do here is actually discuss what we're going to do in terms of formation because it's hard to pick a midfield two slash three until we know if we're having a midfield two or three. So what are we looking at here, boys? Oh, man. I'll let the Sam take is... the lead. He's the tactician, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, there's so many amazing attacking options, as there almost always is in this scenario. And those names, they just punch a little bit harder, don't they? So I feel like it's more fun for us to try and include as many attackers as possible. And I think there's going to be at least four here that we pick. There's probably about six or seven that we all want to cram in, but that's literally impossible. So don't even try. But if we try and, if we try and add four attackers in, that probably gives us a midfield two. So I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling like a Ralph Rangnick 4-2-2-2, except I promise that this one will work better than Ralph Rangnick's has at United so far. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, That's Dean, the only way Man United gets this team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dean, stick us off in, uh, in centre midfield. We'll see how we go. I can, but I feel a bit bad here because I'm staying in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> Angolo Kanto. 
I mean, we can yeah, try you and have avoid to. it. We can try and avoid it, but um, if you're looking for a central midfielder, how can we look past the man who's, you know, kind of made the position his own across world football? Everyone that plays centre midfield wants to play it like N'Golo Kante, but they can't because they can't get around the pitch like this man can. He's now 30 years of age. I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do this. There are some signs of him wearing. I mean, he started to miss games through injury now. Um, And actually, to his benefit, in a way, because if you think, if you want to see how influential N'Golo Kante is on this Chelsea team, then it's by looking at when he's missed games for Chelsea. And at the start of this season, there was so much praise going to Thomas Tuchel and his defence for um, an unbelievable defensive record. Um, But a lot of it was down to N'Golo Kante. And this is when it became clear. So in Kante's first eight games of the season for Chelsea, they conceded three goals. Suddenly, he had a knee problem. And in the five games that he was missing, Chelsea conceded eight goals. It was when their season started to change. It was when they um, lost the momentum and, and lost the well belief a lot of team had that they were going to set the pace in the title race this season. Of course, you remember that Man United game against Chelsea um, and Jorginho tried to obviously bring the ball down and Jadon Sancho raced through. Um, and from that moment, look, Angolo Kante would usually have been in that position. Jorginho, you know, he's back there after a corner and usually Kante sweeps things up there. And it was a size like, yeah, okay, like this is, this is what happens when a, this guy does all the simple bits that are supposed to be simple anyway, so efficiently, so effectively. And other people, no matter how good you are, you can't do it all the time and you're going to make mistakes. And I think that's what's happened to Chelsea this season. I think that, um, you know, they're always a better team when Kante's there. And I defy you to find uh, a couple of midfielders that are better than N'Golo Kante over the course of a calendar year. I'm sorry, but when you put together as many man of the match performances in Champions League knockout games as he did over the course of 2021, it was it was just it was seemingly every game they played, quarter final, semi final, final. Every time they finished the game, it was like, and the man of the match is N'Golo Kante. (laughs) I mean, he's just he sealed his spot in this team in May. He didn't even have to play particularly well in September and October, and then his influence become clear when he when he was not there. You know that didn't even have to happen. I mean, this guy's had this guy's put in the best performances I think of any player on the very biggest stages of club football this uh, over the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? It, It's it's what it is in terms of, of where we are and how good Kante just has been across the course. I, I, I've got a shout for his partner, right? This is this is where I'm going to go. I, I don't want to stand here and tell you that I don't think that N'Golo Kante should be in the team because I think that's unfair. But I do think next to him should be our first non-Premier League player in Nicolo Barella. Now, Barella came 26th in the Ballon d'Or rankings earlier this season, and I lost the plot. Like, I've fully, never seen Jack more angry. Fully lost the plot. European I think he was too high. I think he was too high. With Italy. <laughs> scored the winner against the world's number one nation in Belgium. Ended Juve's stranglehold on Serie A with Inter. Serie A midfielder of the year. Serie A team of the season. Ludicrous. So they thought there were 25 players better than Nicolo Barella <laughs> in 2021. There were maybe four. 
players better than Nicolo Barella in 2021. He was just magnificent. And he's continued that form into the new season as well. And I think maybe this is what sets him apart from maybe the, the others around him. He has waltzed back in in Serie A and done it again. And when Inter needed players to step up in the absence of well, Conte, but also Lukaku and Hakimi and Eriksson's creativity, he's gone again. And, and Barella has just stepped up and continued to provide the most magical things week after week. He is a delight to watch, the complete midfielder in so many ways. Um, and I just think that there is no way he cannot be in this team. No way at all. He's just too good, too special and too important at both club and country level uh, to ignore. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You, go on, Dean. As, go on, yeah, I was going to say, as, go on, go on, another dare, Premier League dare, player. Go on. I dare you. Go on. <laughs> I can't... Why isn't he in the Premier League if he's so good? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can come up with. I obviously oh. don't watch Barella as much as you do, but I, I, whenever I do see him, like he is... Yeah, he's different class and he's a bit of a magician. So um, I have to give you... I like to kind of bow to um, your knowledge of the guy on this one, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there, I imagine there would be shouts for someone like Declan Rice, who's been exceptional. Well, I've got a Declan Rice card here, mate. And um, like Sam says, Kante gets uh, man of the match for Chelsea um, in every Champions League game. Well, Declan Rice gets West Ham's man of the match almost every single time he plays, no matter the competition. So <laughs> we have to give that guy a mention. He obviously came into the Euros for England as well, um, did so well, and he's now got a price tag of like £120 million, um, such as his value to West Ham. And they just can't bear to even consider what their team would look like without him because he does everything and he's becoming not just the defensive midfielder that um, he kind of made his name for but he's now becoming that box-to-box midfielder that he wants to be. Yeah, I mean, his talent undoubted. I just think that probably, he, he probably is the person who falls victim to this two in midfield, right? He is the, the player. The only other person I would have put in the in conversation is, is Marco Verratti, but who I think is wonderful and a glorious watch. And interesting that I've put the two Italy midfielders who aren't Jorginho into the, into mm-hmm. the mix here. But I think Verratti's injury record over the course of the year is just too prevalent to actually put mm. him in with a full shout. So I would argue that Declan Rice is probably the player who misses out because this isn't a three, because we've gone for a four up top. Um, and, and he's unfortunate in that regard, but but that's where we are, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. looks like it. Okay. If it so was a three, got- Rice would be at the base and Kante and Barella would be our box-to-box dynamo number eight. And honestly, it's a hell of a midfield. about that. Thinking about that right now, I want to. Can we change it? Change the <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. But I want to see it. I want to see it too. Yeah, absolutely. There is one thing we need to do, which is our well, four up top, should we say, or, or two wide forwards and two centre forwards. I think it's probably how this is going to look. Um, so I would say each we lock a player in, and then we have a debate for the fourth spot. Would be my my okay. take on the matter. So Sam, why don't you start us off? Okay. So my lock for the forward line is going to be Robert Lewandowski. It's the easiest selection I've made all day because I think he should have won the Ballon d'Or, which means I think he's the best player in 2021. So he obviously deserves a spot in this team. He scored a ridiculous amount of goals. His goals per game ratio, goals per 90 ratio was out of this world. The consistency levels we're out of this world. And as we know with Lewandowski, he's not just a goal scorer. He contributes to every phase of play. He's on the near post for corners, defending and heading them away. He's up there facilitating and linking. 
He's moving to create space for Thomas Muller. He's linking with his wingers. He's converting chances, but he's just doing everything all of the time. And it tends to be, oh, it's bad timing on this one because they did just lose 2-1 on Friday, but it tends to be that even if Bayern don't play particularly well, Lewandowski will probably score you enough goals on balance to get you at least a draw, if not probably just like an undeserved 3-2 win or something. Now, fell foul of that on Friday, but typically speaking over... Over the 50-odd weeks in the year, yeah, that will come up trumps more often than not. And Lewandowski feels a bit like a cheat code at points. And he's owed, I think, two Ballon d'Ors now. So yeah, maybe he can keep too. himself warm at night uh, by knowing that he is in the Ranks FC EA Sports FIFA team, 22 Team of the Year. Do you reckon that yeah. will help? Yeah, I, I think it will probably it will soften <laughs> be the blow. That, he? It will yeah. soften the blow. So there's there's that to consider, isn't there? But um, yeah, um, amazing, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I don't think anyone. I tell you what, you know how like you know it, like obviously some players get sent awards and stuff. Um, not like obviously you don't get like the Ballon d'Or in the post or whatever, but sometimes like a newspaper will give them an award or something like that, and you'll see them holding it up. I'll if I can get Robert's address, I'll send him this card uh, and just put from the lads at ranks congratulations and maybe maybe that will go down really well yeah i think i think that will that will really help would be my um <laughs> yeah let's just let's Anyone roll got Robert's address? yeah um absolutely unbelievable unbelievable um right dean who's your lock my lock is a lad called mo salah um very good very good at football this one um, I don't think there'll be any arguments over it, um, unless actually you are one of those guys that voted for the actual Ballon d'Or, where Mo Salah finished seventh, by the way, remember. No, don't forget this. Mo Salah finished seventh, and I remember when he was reminded of that fact, a few days after the event, a reporter said to him, uh, Mo, you finished seventh, and he just burst out laughing. Like It really is a joke that that guy finished so low. At the time, he'd scored something in like 19 consecutive games or something ridiculous, and you know, I think he got 38 goals across the calendar year. Mo Salah, um, you know, obviously Liverpool aren't one-dimensional, but... You take Mo Salah out of that team, and they are not the same team. I think I genuinely think like people talked about when when Virgil Van Dijk wasn't there and the impact that had on them and how difficult it was to replace him. Um, Salah's irreplaceable. I really do believe that, and I think that that's their big fear going forward. They're they're, they're in a really sticky situation, Liverpool, because I mean Mo Salah, as we record this, he's just given an interview that's been uh, that come out, and he, he's talking again about his contract, how he wants to stay, but it's on the club now to to kind of make it happen. They know the terms that are needed. His contract comes to an end in 2023, and the thought of a Liverpool team without Mo Salah anytime soon kind of hard to comprehend um it's his style of play it's the time that he steps forward with big moments big goals even the accuracy of his penalties and how frequently he dispatches them is has to be applauded um there's barely a flaw in his game at this point um i still find his style of play to be unusual i still can't get used to the fact that he is so consistent because Sometimes he still looks awkward and looks like almost like he doesn't know what he's about to do, but he clearly does. It's working brilliantly. Still, nobody knows how to deal with him. Um, I don't think you two have any arguments with this. No, I, I think from kind of 
August. We're talking about the play, the best player on form in the entire world. Um, and it wasn't, it was hardly sloppy before that, was it? So <laughs> I think that's kind of where we're at with it. So, you know, you look at Salah and it just makes absolutely no sense not to have him in the team. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be very hard to disagree, Dane. I'm going to move on to my lock, which is going to be this man, Karim Benzema. Now, in 2021, as a calendar year, Karim Benzema played 63 games for club and country for France and Real Madrid. He scored 47 goals and he got 13 assists which is basically a one-in-one ratio uh, in terms of goal contributions, which is pretty remarkable. He topped that off with, obviously, his first international trophy um, in the Nations League it, back at the sort of back end of last year. And nice to finally win something with, with France as well, after all the, the troubles that have gone in, on there. But mostly we're just looking at one of the players who continues to be golden long after the first statements were made that Benzema was perhaps tailing off. And obviously when Real Madrid lost Cristiano Ronaldo, there were all these talks about who was going to step up to the plate, who was going to fill that hole. They tried to bring in players, they tried to bring in new players. And it was Benzema, you know, the old guard who stepped up for Real Madrid. And now he is playing as well as I've ever seen Karim Benzema play. And I loved watching him in those early Leon days. I loved that kind of explosivity in his game. Um, this is different gravy. He is a Rolls Royce, a Mercedes Benzema, uh, as, as is hmm. often said here. But he is just so, so good. And his relationship that has burgeoned with Vinicius Jr. over the course of this season uh, and the link up that they have, because especially considering where they were, you know, two years ago where Benzema was was actively saying in a tunnel, don't pass to Vinicius. He's playing <laughs> against us. The turnaround from that period where Benzema has gone to become, you know, well, Benzema and Vinicius have gone to become one of the great partnerships in, in world football right now. I think it's just absolutely unbelievable. And, and it's a joy to watch Karim Benzema play every week um, at the moment. He continues to provide crucial goals, you know, left, right and centre. He is a facilitator. He is a goal scorer. He has everything you could possibly want in a number nine. And uh, I'm just so, so impressed with him every single week. Um, he is my lock for this team of the year, which leaves us one spot, boys. And, and the good news about this is we can kind of shift people about a little bit. Um, mm. But I'd imagine it's going to be a wide forward spot. I mean, we could go three up top with one behind them, but it does look no. a bit like it. Um, so I'm going to ask for your opinions on who should fill this final spot. And Sam, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so I've got one for you and it's a rogue pick. I'll give you that, but uh, I'm just going to put Kylian Mbappe's name into the mix. Someone who doesn't have the trophies that we would necessarily associate with him, to be honest with you. I think we all probably expected a bit more silverware out of Mbappe and, and PSG and France, basically, over the course of 2021. But I've got no bone to pick with Mbappe's individual performances. In fact, I found watching PSG this season a bit of a chore. And the only real bright point has been killing Mbappe and what he's been able to do in terms of converting 1-0 deficits and bad positions that a team like PSG should not be in. And he has managed to create goals and assists, often in the last 20 minutes, often at pivotal moments in order to turn those games into wins. And PSG's ridiculous lead at the top of Liga. every time I look at it at right now, I just laugh and giggle and think, yeah, it's basically killing Mbappe. And so there's been an awful lot of players that we've talked about so far in this, in this bracket 
who obviously their season was weighted more towards the first half of the year for obvious re- reasons. They they won the league, they won a Champions League, they they participated at the Euros and won the Euros and things like that. And I just wanted to throw a name in there that I think actually ended stronger than they started because, look, as you say, the, the last five months have been pivotal too. It's not as if Mbappe was particularly sloppy at the end of last season either. He's had a good overall year. Over, overall year. But this season in particular for PSG, I've been really, really impressed with him because he is still quite young. We do forget that. And he has stepped forward and taken uh, adv- taken ownership of the situation multiple weeks now, multiple months actually, and made sure that PSG do not drift, do not veer. And I respect that. I respect that decisiveness in a player like Mbappe who already has that killer gene that so many strikers end up well into their 30s still searching for. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. He, he's a wonderful footballer. I don't think anyone's going to mm. uh, gonna doubt that. <laughs> um, is he good enough for this fourth spot, though? Dean, who are you going for? Mm. I do love Mbappe, don't I? So I'm I'm not really not going to argue with Sam there, but I'm going to have to put forward a case for two guys who actually don't pay out wide. Um, the card I've got right here is Erling Haaland, um, one of... Obviously, my other favourite players in the world right now, because how can you not enjoy watching that guy? The problem, I guess, with Holland is his injury record, particularly in the first half of this season. He just hasn't had time to build up momentum. He's lift, missed half of their Champions League matches. Um, when he does play, like obviously, he normally scores. His goal re- goals record is fine, but um, because of the inconsistencies, it's, it's, it's better than fine. I think we probably just <laughs> well, not by his records. Like he won't be happy with it. Don't forget. Like he has this um, ridiculous expectation that he wants to end his career with more goals than games or whatever it is um and i want to give a shout out ridiculous when you think about it is it not no no well just see if you can keep it up for the next 10 years but um and vlavic as well um haven't got his card but his calendar year was oh you've got it there it is uh i mean mate these two aren't probably gonna move our central players out of this team because Lewandowski and benzema were ridiculous but Vlavic was unreal. Here's the next, here's the next gen, isn't it? This is what yeah. you're saying. We're looking at Benzema this is next year's and Lewandowski. This is the two coming through. The, the two big nines in the world at the moment, it feels like, coming through as the next generation. So yeah. uh, I don't think I could disagree with that. But um, Vlavic has been unbelievable. And some of the records he's broken for Fiorentina this year, you know, breaking records held by the likes of Gabriel Batistuta and, and Luca Toni, greats of the game. And um, Vlavic is doing this at such a young age. There is no wonder he's in such high demand uh, and no wonder that he's in the conversation but probably just hasn't done enough to, to shift the middle to yeah. me no he I've can't play a, it wide I've got a wide player for you um, and this one might shock you might shock you but I'm going to chuck in the Ballon d'Or winner <laughs> <laughs> Mm. I don't alarm anyone, but this is uh, Lionel Messi who <laughs> won the Ballon d'Or. Now, there was plenty of controversy about this, right? And, and there was a lot of people who thought that Robert Lewandowski should have won it. And that that's fine. You're, you're entitled to your opinions. But I think that whatever you think, it's very difficult to argue that Messi was still unbelievable in 2021. Now, there is the case to be made that after the summer, where he basically went on a holiday after winning the Copa America, which we'll come on to, it hasn't quite got back up to, to speed at PSG. And it hasn't quite worked out as well as perhaps people thought it would. But you have to look at this Copa America, right? Which is Messi's first senior in, international tournament or international trophy. He'd won Olympic gold, but this is the thing that was held against him time and time again, that he hadn't gone and won an international trophy with Argentina. 
until he did. And he was unbelievable in Brazil. It's important to remember that Argentina went and won the Copa America on the great on the turf of their great rivals. He went and did it in Brazil. Right. And, and this is incredible. He, yes, he was a top scorer, four goals, most assists, five. He was absolutely unbelievable. The quarterfinal against Ecuador, I think, was probably his standout game for me. There was a couple of assists, I think. And then he scored an absolutely glorious free kick to, to top things off. And I think across the, the course of things, it, it's really easy to, to think, oh, was he just given the Ballon d'Or? Is he just in this for his performances for Argentina, which have been magical? And we're looking at Argentina for the first time since maybe, wow, 2006, 2010, as a, a real force in the in the World Cup next year, or this year now, I suppose we, we should be saying. Um, but this is the, the point where we're looking at and going, Argentina are back, and, and, and that's something nice to see. But also, look at where Barcelona are now compared to where they were last year. Yes, they didn't win anything last year, but they were in the conversations. They won the Copa. No, they, won the they won the Copa del Rey, I apologise. They didn't win the league last year, but they were in the conversation. This season, Barcelona are not in the conversation. And the big factor that you're looking at there is no Lionel Messi. And ultimately, at the end of last season, it's quite easy to forget that he scored 28 goals in the last 29 games of the season. In the 29 games in 2021, he scored 28 goals. And the Copper, which they won, he was man at the match. He was absolutely unbelievable. 41 goals and 17 assists in 56 games in 2021. It just, you know, he's still absolutely up there with more than a goal a game. And and that, or more than a goal contribution a game, I should say. And and for me, just absolutely unbelievable still. Very much the peak of his, not the peak of his powers in terms of what he was able to do, but the peak of his powers instead of still being able to inspire. He was still able to inspire Barcelona, still able to inspire Argentina. Yes, it hasn't clicked yet, PSG. And yes, the last couple of months are not great. And I think we can all look at that and be like, okay, a bit hands up. It wasn't perfect. It hasn't fitted as people would have wanted to. But still, for me, one of the best 11 players in the world in 2021, uh, by some distance, probably one of the top three. I can't believe uh, I sat here and held up Mbappe's card, only for then Jack to just do uh, reel off that. Yeah, I know. I feel really silly. It was like you'd thought about what you were going to say there as well, which we don't normally do on this podcast. <laughs> That's not, Jack doesn't do that very often, so no, we can't really, good, we actually can't really expect him to case, do that. Didn't he? It's a combination yeah. of being able to speak from the heart and uh, and also just vaguely know what we're talking about. It's um, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, oh, it, right. it often works, right? So yeah. so uh, I think we'll take that. So we'll, we'll, we'll put we'll Messi, go with Messi. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the front four is Lionel Messi, Mohamed Salah, Robert Lewandowski, and Karen Benzema in front of N'Golo Kante and Nicolo Barella with a back five of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ruben Diaz. Antonio Rudiger, Jacques Cancelo, and Edouard Mendy. Well, I think that concludes our Team of the Year discussion there. 11 players picked, uh, a lot more than that discussed. And I imagine there are going to be plenty of people who have differing opinions on that one. But alas, here we are. Let us know as ever on social. You can pick your team in the EA Sports Team of the Year selector. The link is in the description to this podcast. Send it to us on social media, at Rank Squad on Twitter, at Rank.Squad on Instagram. Uh, and we can have a little discussion about what we've put together. Um, um, after the break, it's time for Men of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for my favourite part of the week. Pete Jones, all yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jose Mourinho. 
Do you know what? I'm throwing him under the bus because that's what he does to his team every time they suffer defeat. Like he's winding me up already. I think it's fitting that he gets the first melon of the week of 2022. Look, just set some set the picture here. Roma three one up against Juve at the weekend. They lose four three. Concede three goals in just over six minutes for that game to turn around. It boosts Juve's season massively and their chances of. qualifying for the Champions League. And look, obviously this this Roma team are a bit fragile, but I think that Mourinho is part of the problem because every time something goes wrong, he comes out and says absolutely ridiculous stuff. And look, by the way, Pellegrini um, could have been Melon of the Week here because he missed a penalty at 4-3 and had a chance to make it 4-4. And it was honestly a terrible penalty because Chesney was already on the floor. I don't know what he was doing, but Chesney dived way early and was on the floor and Pellegrini kicked it straight at him. But Pellegrini is one of the best players in Serie A throughout the course of this season. Had a great game here too, so I'm, I'm not... I'm not willing to take this away from Mourinho, who said after the game, uh, after this defeat, I'm not used to this team profile, but I'm here. In this dressing room, there are too many good players and we need nastiness. We collapsed psychologically. The team suffers too much psychologically. They are too afraid. I need players with my personality and I don't want to adapt to the fragility of the team. I hope the club can help me in this, in the transfer market. Like Roma's a pretty young team, right? Overall, this this isn't helpful. This really is not helpful. He had big problems at Man United and Tottenham um, with the way that he started to do this. Um, you know, we all know how those jobs ended up. Yes, he wants money to invest. He, he wants chance, it now. A couple of trophies for United, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple of meaningless trophies, but um, this, they've this won is, loads of those. Since he's left, they've won loads of those, haven't they? The Europa Mate, League is you, not a meaningless trophy. You, you can stick up for Mourinho if you want here, but he is. This ain't going to end well. I know. You, I know you thought Rome were going to win the league under him, but they're not even going to qualify <laughs> for any any form of Europe. And he, I still don't think, will be here by next season. Okay, all right. I, I mean, there was another contender. I, I'm going to chuck it in there. I tweeted about this um, the other day um, from the Premier, which I'm pretty heavy on today. Apparently, um, Family Cal who were really good last season and have fallen apart this season, are in desperate need of points to try and survive in the league, right? They are, they're right in, the, right in the relegation scrap. And they were 2-1 up against Braga, who were fourth. Big result this would have been. And they were a man up as well. Braga had a player sent off. Um, and they chucked away two points in the most ridiculous fashion I've ever seen. I, I, I can't quite explain it. Two players, the ball goes through for a, a striker to, you know, to run onto, and there are two defenders in front of him. They are both. The striker stops running because there's that obviously these play, defenders are going to clear it. They don't. They mix it up between themselves. The striker, Mario Gonzalez, makes a late dash between the two players, goes around the keeper and scores. And the players are looking at each other going, oh, oh, Lord. And, and Sam put it really nicely the other day. You know, you see things, you go, oh, this team are going down, aren't they? They're going to be relegated. It felt like one of those moments where if you're going to stay up and you're struggling to stay up and you're fighting away, you don't do things like this. It is absolute I, melon behavior from both these defenders who, who led through. It, it's on my Twitter if you, if you want to see it. it it's it's one of the worst pieces of defending I think I've ever seen. You you, you put it quite kindly though. You say you, they mix it up between them. They basically ran into each other. <laughs> yeah, but they're both pointing at the ball. It's really <laughs> bad. Yeah, yeah you showed me this yesterday as a, as a contender and 
I was tempted. It wasn't quite high profile enough for me because I I, I struggle to um, you know, explain these situations well enough. And because Mourinho was um, you know, having his latest tantrum, I couldn't avoid it. But it is a very good melon of the week contender. And if you haven't seen it, go and look on Jack's Twitter. Absolutely right. Gibberish at all. Oh my days. So, it's longer and longer, days. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going. <laughs> it's time for gibberish, and uh, it is time to loop back and talk about my wedding for a moment because I've got yeah. three funny stories from my wedding that I can talk about, that I could broadcast. Uh, and we'll end with one that I know that a lot of people have been waiting for. But begin at number three, uh, and this one comes actually slightly after the wedding. It's uh, one of our old colleagues from Bleach Report, Tom Webb. Uh, Tom was caught sleepwalk, caught himself sleepwalking around the hotel um, <laughs> after, after the wedding. So he does have a tendency to do this every now and then, apparently. He told me that occasionally he does catch himself sleepwalking. And look, a lot of the guests, once the festivities at the venue of my wedding had, had subsided, a lot of the guests all went to the same hotel just down the road. And, and Tom was one of those. And at 4.30 in the morning, he woke up, stood up in the corridor outside his hotel room because he'd sleepwalked out of the room. Now, of course, when you sleepwalk, you're not really sure what you're doing. And he didn't take his card with him. So he was locked out of his own room in his underwear. And he had to go down to the desk, which he had trouble finding. And the, the hotel was the, an absolute maze. I will give him that. Yeah, it was a maze. apparently it was a maze. I don't, know, I don't say it. So he, he negotiated the maze in his underwear at 4.30, shivering cold, got to the desk and had to ask for another room key to get back into his room so he could oh get back into bed. Oh my God. And he did so. He got it and uh, he, got, he got the room key and he managed to renegotiate the maze all the way back, got it. And the room key they gave him didn't work. So he had to go back, <laughs> negotiate the maze again and get a second key and go back and finally get into his bed. Oh and uh, I brought I brought a lot of the guests back together for a lunch the, the day after. And that was the best story I heard that day as he sort of sheepishly <laughs> told me that he'd been stood in, the, in his underwear at 4.30 in the morning in the corridors <laughs> of the hotel. I like it. I like Very it. Very good. Very yeah. good. Uh, number two was the... Um, <clears throat> A problem with the suits in the morning, which uh, definitely got us off to a bit of a bad start. Really, what you're hoping for on the morning of your wedding is absolutely zero drama whatsoever. It was a bad start already because the photographers tested positive for COVID and couldn't come in, but that was sorted by the venue. We got a replacement photographer in and, and he was absolutely sensational. Was so a huge, a huge shout out to, to Elliot for that and, and for basically saving the day. Um and a shout to the venue for, for fixing that too. But I also had a kerfuffle of my own. I'd bought myself and my two best men their suits for the wedding. So I'd gone and picked them up from a um, <clears throat> well-known suit hire establishment in the UK. Uh, I'd gone in mid-December, picked them all up, picked all three up. They're in the suit bags. And I took them home and I put them on the back of the door and I left them there for like, you know, three weeks or whatever. Um I got. I opened the bags on the morning of the wedding, and, and the boys opened their bags too. And my suit was absolutely fine. And really, we were worried about whether or not we could fit into them after the, you know, all the Christmas eating and stuff like that. But actually, it turns out the main concern should have been: Did the establishment that sold me the suits remember to take the plastic security tags? off the items you know those ones that if you try and remove forcibly it like stains the clothes with ink and they yeah. set um they set the alarms off in in shops yeah uh they'd left 
these tags on both of my best men's waistcoats. And I thought, okay, this is a nightmare. We toyed with the idea. We said, okay, why don't you boys not wear waistcoats? I'll wear one. Then I can, you can sort of differentiate between us as the groom and, and the best men. Great. Okay, fine. Bit of a shame not to wear the waistcoats. They're really nice, but whatever. And then one of my best men, Paul, puts his suit jacket on and there's a security tag under the armpit just on the back of his of his suit jacket <laughs> and at that point you have to make the call we have to go and fix this we drive 15 minutes we're lucky there's one this close we drive 15 minutes to another branch of the well-established mm. suit tire company walk in and as we walk in the shop the alarms go mental because we're wearing security tags <laughs> i have to get the receipt out on my phone to prove i've paid for them and then they strip the clothes off and they get them all done and you know what it was quite funny in the end in yeah, fact, it was hilarious story. as we were as we were strolling through a multi multi story com- shopping complex. It was really funny once we'd fixed it because we had time to get to the venue. But oh my god, was I scared! <laughs> oh my god, sat in that car on the way to this uh, shopping complex. It was absolutely awful. Um, <laughs> the good news <laughs> is, good. usually in those establishments, there's someone working there that's quite good with you know suits and you know de-threading them and and doing your pocket squares. So while we were there. The guy also just Took kind advantage. of sorted us all out and, you know, so did our pocket squares. Yeah, and actually we walked out of there. I think you remarkably smart. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it wasn't me, mate. Someone dressed you for, dressed you. I, I did wonder when you learned to dress yourself. It turns out it just was uh, same <laughs> yeah, old, same just, old. No, no, I drove to a shopping centre and had someone else do it. Very good, um, very good. What's yeah, in a one? So at number one is the fact that Dean walked up to me at uh, probably about 9, 9.30pm <laughs> and said... I've got it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I figured out who X and Y are. Now, for those of you that listened last week and remember, and some people have definitely asked about this already, I told the boys that there were two people coming to my wedding that I did not like and set them a task of trying to figure out who they were. And we named them X and Y until Dean or Jack or both could figure out what their names were. And at 9.30 that night on my wedding day, Dean walked up to me and said, I figured it out. I know who X and Y are. And I said, go on then, who is it? And he said... No, you called Rose. Rachel over first. So we can't, I, I could announce it to both of you. Yeah, so called Rachel over first as well, just to make sure that uh, that she could hear it as well. And he said... <laughs> and, and I lost my shit. named them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a risk. It's a risk he's willing to take. No, we, can bleep, we, can, we can bleep that out. We can bleep that out, I'm sure. Uh, we can definitely bleep out the next bit because I said, Dean, how did you figure out? And he went, what is a <laughs> Deadpan at me, just said that, and then said, the other one's talking to her. Yeah. Sam had the audacity to put them on our table. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, well, that wasn't really me, man. That I did, told yeah, you. I, mean, I told you. I told you last week. Seating plan's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, yeah. We I mean, out. that we was the key out. to figuring it out because, yeah, the clues were there. Once she was sat on the opposite, one of them, Rose, was sat on the opposite side to me. And once I'd started to assess the personality, it became very clear that this was not a person you would have wanted at your wedding. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I've never, the way she was talking to people, the, 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 the term I would use the is disdain. A, the term I'd use is a fun sponge. Oh my uh, God, I'll go further than that. <laughs> I'm being kind, but I'm going to go with Very fun. kind. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't anyway, great it, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty confident when I came to you. 
Um, yeah, you were, and you were very confident. And then it's just guilty by association because yeah, she was, was the it. only person that, that guilty that by association. Yeah, and I did check with one yeah. of the other guests. I was like, I told her about the thing, and I said, I'm struggling with the second one, but I think it must be that one. And she was like, Oh yeah, Sam doesn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> That helped. That helped. I said, and I was like, okay, I'm going over. I'm in. I've cracked it. <laughs> there are a, couple, a couple of things. I've got a couple for you, Sam. Like a quick ranking mm. of my own of fun things that happened at your wedding um, that I enjoyed, that made me laugh. Um, number three was the fact that when you mentioned, you, you know, aforementioned photographer Elliot, you know, it was found out earlier on and Sam was giving his speech, gave a really good speech. Um, and he said that shouts out to our photographer, Elliot, who, when we called him this morning, was in home base. Now, one of Sam's stags, one of the lads we were on the stag do with, Duncan, um, was, was was pretty gone at this point. And he stood up at this point and just went, home base. And <laughs> 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 heard the speech, which is probably number three of my enjoyable things. Number yeah, two was uh, at the fact that we were outside um, taking pictures and there was one picture with all Sam's old, or old staff at, at BR and all of our friends. And um, outside, everyone else was having canapes and drinks inside. And they'd kindly given Sam and Rachel a, a plate of food by themselves so they could eat stuff. Um, and it said our old graphic designer, Mateus, went outside to take this picture and decided to eat the whole plate of Sam and Rachel's food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoyed that a lot. That was that was it. Uh, and at number one was the fact that Rach got up, gave a speech, introduced herself as the rank goddess and did a gibberish ranking, she which did, is up yeah. there with like genuinely the best moments in my life. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It, was it was so much good. fun. Um, I, 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 I could not be more in awe of the new Mrs. Yeah, that was very It was, uh, was magnificent. Funny. So half yeah. the guests definitely wouldn't have known what on earth she was doing. No, but, but it was, it for was me fun. and you, it was absolutely spot on. I was just a bit upset. She didn't ask me to do the siren first. Um, <laughs> I, she might just be like, Jack, cue the music. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, alas, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. We're really good fun. So there you go. Some fun things that happened at Sam's cool. wedding absolutely yeah, right fun. on that bombshell ladies and gentlemen i think we should probably call this a day and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to sam Tai. cheers mate thank you very much dean jones cheers mate i've been jack collins thank you very much to ea sports for giving us the cards and things that we we did this team of oh, i'll have to sign with. them at some point and send them out to people absolutely. come over to patreon i'll do it on there come and join us that's where that's where the fun will be happening yeah um we will be well let us know what your teams of the year are let us know on social media the link is in the description as i said before uh, you can build your own team of the year voting ends on the 17th and the full team of the year will be announced on the 20th of january thank you so much for listening as ever and we will see you next week take it easy gang peace